Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. What an amazing week we have had here at Prodigal. Uh, I am recording this on stage on day three of our VBS and just about an hour and a half, a hundred kids is gonna be coming in this room and we are gonna have an absolute blast. It has been so, so great. I am so proud of our church. I'm so proud of our volunteers. I'm so proud of our staff. We have had so much fun and we've learned that we can all make waves, that we can all make a difference in our world. Uh, and part of this making a difference is our Water for Wells project. We are raising money for the 771 million people in our world who don't have access to clean drinking water. And so our kids are decorating the, the Water for Wells bottles and then bringing them back filled with change and dollars and checks and all of that, every single penny goes directly to fund water well projects throughout our world. And so you can be a part of it too. If you just go to prodigalchurchpresident.com give and then you click missions on the giving tab, then you'll be able to give in every dollar and every penny goes exactly to these projects around the world. That is what Summer of Love is all about. Now, First uh, John chapter four, we are all searching for love. Uh, this book has been all about love and this chapter is no different. It is all about love. Uh, all of us, every one of us, have been searching for love. Uh, but it wasn't found in a hopeless place, okay? Like Rihanna said. Uh, I think of the 90s song, if you're a little bit older, What is Love by Hathaway, right? Baby, don't hurt me. Uh, maybe you're a little bit older and you sang Foreigners, I Wanna Know What Love Is. Songs have been sung about it, stories written about it, wars fought over it. This thing called love. One of the great saints of old said that the church is to be a school of love. I agree. We're going to dive right into John, 1 John chapter 4, and we won't have time to read and study the whole chapter, but as always, we want to encourage you that on your own time to read and study. Rather than being your only spiritual intake, uh, Sunday mornings should spur you to greater study throughout the week. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. I can just, I, John is writing this, this pastoral letter uh, to, to people that he loves, to friends. Uh, and I just know that uh, in, in a very similar fashion, some of you are listening from all over the world, whether that's in the Philippines or in the UK, um, in Nigeria, uh, we have people from listening from all over the world, and we're just so grateful for you. You are a part of us. And I just, this, this first verse, 
this, this 4 verse 7, it's for you, and I mean it. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now we could camp out at this scripture for an entire year and it still wouldn't be enough. Uh, the best of all about this passage, the most, the biggest truth about this passage is that it's true, that it's real, that God is love. It's, it's not hard to decipher the main point that John's talking about. Just in 15 verses in chapter 4, love is mentioned 27 times. God is love. Those three words. I think perhaps those are the three most beautiful words. What three words are the most beautiful to you? Maybe it's, I love you, or I forgive you, or let's get married, or it's a boy, it's a girl, let's get pizza, okay? Mine would be Chiefs win championship, okay? But I per perhaps I'm underselling all of this, right? Because the greatest three words is God is love. God is love. Maybe the most beautiful of all three words in the world. The DNA of the divine is love. That is his essence. God is love. Love is his essence. Holiness, wrath, righteousness, sovereignty, goodness, kindness, they are all manifestations of his love. We might put it this way. Check out the graph on your screens. It's not that God is loving, holy, wrathful, just, etc. It's that God is love, and then from that love uh, flows his holiness, flows his justice. Love is his essence. Everything else are his attributes, and there is a difference. Now, there's going to be plenty of time later to get really practical about this. And in fact, this is what the whole series is all about. Summer of Love. Concrete, practical acts of service and love to our world. So we're getting practical, but just for a moment, can we get philosophical? Let's get philosophical about this, shall we? If we were to go in, back in elementary school, the teacher here would say, let's get those thinking caps on, okay? So let's get those thinking caps on. Let's get philo philosophical. Some argue that these attributes should be moved up to his essence. Whatever his essence is, it had to be there before creation. So whatever is at the core of God, it must have existed before he created things, and it must have always been. And logically, philosophically, love is the only thing that makes sense. Because holiness, the word holiness means to be set apart. So if God is holy before creation, what is he set apart from? He can't be set apart from himself, so he is not holy. Sovereign. Well, what does sovereign mean? Well, sovereign mean is to have sovereignty over something, to rule over something. And if it's before, if God is sovereign before creation, he can't be sovereign over himself. What is he sovereign over? What does he rule over? Love is the only thing that makes 
sense. Sovereignty, holiness, they don't make sense until creation. Only love does, this inner relationality. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in this beautiful community of love. God is love. It's the only thing that makes sense. Love is not a verb that God does. Love is the noun that God is. And if we lived our lives and our theology just by that truth, I believe we'd be in sync with the nature of our faith, with the nature of God himself. But back to Hathaway. What is love? Here's what it's not. Love is not an emotion or a feeling, okay? And this is a really big deal because it's been so ingrained in us that love is a feeling. Love is an emotion. It's not. It never is according to the scriptures. There was a research experiment done on two bridges over Vancouver, Canada. Uh, The first bridge was a higher bridge, a little bit more dangerous, and then there was a a lower bridge, significantly safer. And then there was a female experimenter on the other side of each bridge in that she would interview men as they crossed over each bridge, kind of gave them a, a questionnaire. And when they got to the other side, they were given the questionnaire. And one of the things they were looking for, um, and they didn't know it at the time, was that they would ask the men to then write some neutral stories. And they were looking for any amount of uh, intimate sexual charge that was found within that to connect intimacy, sexuality, and adrenaline. Did they use certain words or scenarios? So they would ask them to write a story or to, make a, a, to draw a very neutral picture. And what they found was that the guys who had crossed over the dangerously high bridge, their stories, their pictures were charged with much more uh, sexuality than the men who had crossed over on a lower bridge. What they also found was that this adrenaline charge in sexuality would be transferred to the female experimenter herself. She was attractive. In both cases, she was a woman. And this is how they finished the experiment. They, she would say that, uh, uh, she'd give them their fo- her phone number and say the results of the survey will be published in a few weeks. Feel free to call me and just to see how the overall survey went. What they found was that the guys who crossed uh, over the, the lower side of the bridge, a number of them called, um, but the guys who had crossed over on the higher bridge where their adrenaline was much higher, uh, they called, not just more, but eight times more. When they tried it again, this time with a male experimenter on each side of the bridge, guess how many people called back? Zero. We give too much credit to our emotions. What some of us call love at first sight might just be the burrito you had for lunch that day. Our bodies and our adrenaline is connected to uh, our, our, to lust, but not to love. Love is something altogether better and more beautiful. It is amazing that whether it's endorphins or adrenaline, circumstances or emotions, if we tie this to our hearts, if we give those things the definition of love, there can be some pretty destructive consequences because love is an amazing power. We're very easily manipulated. We don't like to think that we are. But if we label emotions love, if we label adrenaline love, then we don't have to feel bad. It's not love. 
It's just warm fuzzies. This way of viewing love appears often in the movies and in music and in our shows. We've all seen some kind of a scene, maybe it was from a soap opera or a movie, and the, the, the guy is embracing the girl and he says, it's because of the way that you're holding me now, the way you make me feel, I know that this is right. This must be love. Listen, just because it feels good doesn't mean it's right. The problem is not emotions. They can be wonderful. They're a beautiful gift. They can motivate us to do all kinds of things. The problem is not with emotions. It is mislabeling emotions and calling them love. Emotions are designed to be the responders to our environments, okay? Uh, they're not the leaders. They're the caboose on the train, not the engine that pushes it. In Christian marriage demonstrates this reality. The marriage covenant is not based on emotion. No, my promise to love is no matter how I feel. When we're happy, when we're sad, when we're at odds with one another, when we're bored, when we go through a time of delight, and when we go through a season of difficulty, I'll choose to love you no matter what. I can't promise to feel a certain way, but I can promise to live a certain way. Love is not doing what makes you feel good but doing what is good in spite of how you might feel. In the marriage, the gift is you do love and then you feel love. Now, I'm not a perfect husband. Okay, Sarah will be the first to tell you. And a few years ago, Sarah and I were in bed watching TV and um, we're both kind of under the blankets and my foot accidentally rubs against her leg and she goes, ow, John, cut your toenails. And then I had to tell her, babe, that wasn't my toenail. That was the callus on my big toe. And she goes, you're disgusting. And then she said, you need to go get a pedicure tomorrow. And like, I had one pedicure before that, like in my whole life. Like, I think we did it maybe like on our one year anniversary or something. And so the next day I was getting a pedicure. Uh, and uh, now, before I continue, I want to reiterate a couple of things. One, I need to say that I had just played football with no shoes on, okay? That's, that's my, my, my preface. And as I walked into this pedicure place, uh, uh, I felt like the kid in school where everyone just turns and stares, okay? They all start whispering. As the lady began to look at my feet, she put on a surgical mask. Okay, this is pre-COVID, okay? People didn't wear masks back then. So she puts on the, the surgical mask and I'm like, is there gonna be an operation? What is happening? Am I going in for surgery? Uh, no other worker had a mask on. Then she puts on rubber gloves, okay? Okay, I look around, no other workers have rubber gloves on, okay? She looks at my feet, she looks at her gloves, and she puts on another set of rubber. She double, she double gloved me. I don't know what to think about that. She puts the gloves on. She looks at my feet. She puts on another pair of gloves. She was nice. She asked me if I wanted polish. I said, no, thank you. And before she does the callus remover, you know, I, again, I went barefoot a lot. Um, she looks at my feet like I was a Neanderthal. And I'm ticklish the whole time. I'm like almost kicking her in her face. And as I'm paying, some random guy looks at me and goes, what a difference, huh? And I'm like, yeah, what a difference. Thanks, thanks, buddy. This is exactly what happened. There is no exaggeration in what I just said. Why would I put myself 
through this humiliation, through this ridicule, because my foot scratched my wife? No, it's because I love my wife and her comfort is more important than my pride. We do things for our spouses that we may not feel like doing or even we, that we don't want to do, but love is about what we do, not how we feel. M. Scott Peck said this, genuine love is volitional rather than emotional. The person who truly loves does so because of a decision to love. This person has made a commitment to be loving whether or not the loving feeling is present. True love is not a feeling by which we are overwhelmed. It is a committed, thoughtful decision. Wow. Our command to love goes well beyond marriage. But for someone listening right now, all you really need to hear is that love is not an emotion, it's a decision. And that reality can heal your marriage. It can reignite your marriage. You do love until you feel love. Our command to love certainly goes beyond marriage. It goes to the deepest heart of our faith. St. Jerome, uh, the translator of the Bible into Latin in the third century, recounts that the St. John the Evangelist, living in Ephesus in his extreme old age, would be carried with, very di- with a lot of difficulty into his church by the disciples. He had no strength for a lengthy exhortation or sermon, but he could only say two words, agapomen alelis, let us love one another. At length, the disciples and the church members who were there, wearied by the repetition, asked, Master, why do you always say this? And he replied, because it is the Lord's command, and if that alone is done, it suffices. I agree. Sometimes people in the church want my opinion on certain issues. Issues in the Bible, issues in the world. John, what do you say? Agapamen, alelis. Some speak in tongues while others do not. John, what do you say? Let us love one another. Some drink wine, others abstain. John, what do you say? Love one another. Some people voted Democrat, some people voted Republican. John, what do you say? Love one another. A marriage is failing and people in the church are taking sides. What do you say? Love one another. People who come to church but don't give any money, what do we do about it? Love one another. Someone hurt me and I want to hurt them back. What do you say? Agapamen alelis. Let us love one another. Love is what it's all about. It sounds so fairy tale. It sounds so Disney. But that doesn't mean it's not true. Like, it's like sometimes we think that it's about being pious or it's about being religious. Love is what we want. Love is what we desire. So it can't be the deepest truth. We're just making the faith uh, fit what we desire the faith to be. I'm just, I must be making it up because that's what I want. And just because I want something to be true doesn't mean it is true. In making our entire religion about love, it just seems too good to be true. Or just maybe it's too good to not be true. That the desire that is inside of us for love, 
was put there by the God who is love. That is not some selfish desire, but the, the root of desire itself. Our longing for love in faith and in life is not a move away from God. It is a move towards God, and it always is. First John tells us anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. It's not too good to be true. It's too good to not be true. It's not about holiness. It's not about righteousness. It's about love. We mustn't forget that. It's about love, especially when there is so much hatred and division in our world. We can't forget that God is love, and we can't forget to love one another. Tennessee Williams tells the story of Jacob Brodsky, a Russian Jew whose father owned a bookstore. The older Brodsky, the father, wanted his son to go to college to experience life and to grow and get a career. But the boy, on the other hand, desired nothing but to marry Lila, his childhood sweetheart. A couple months after young Brodsky went to college, his father fell ill and died. The son returned home, buried his father, and married his love. Then the couple moved into the apartment above the bookstore, and Brodsky took over its management. The life of books fit him perfectly, but it cramped her. She wanted more adventure. She found it. She thought when she met an agent who praised her for her beautiful singing voice and enticed her to tour Europe with the vaudeville company. Brodsky was devastated. At their parting, he reached into his pocket and handed her the key to his father's bookstore. He said, you better keep this because you will want it someday. Your love is not so much less than mine that you can get away from it. You will come back sometime and I will be waiting. She kissed him and she left. To escape the pain that he felt, Brodsky withdrew deep into his bookstore and took to reading as some might take to drink. He spoke little, did little, and could most of the times be found at his large desk, immersed in a book, while he waited for the love of his life to return. Nearly 15 years later, a decade and a half, Christmas time, with snow outside, she returns. She unlocks the door, and the bell rings as a customer enters in. Brodsky arose from his desk, and he said to her, do you want a book? The fact that he didn't recognize her startled her, but she gained possession of herself, realizing the pain that she had caused. She said, I want a book, but I've forgotten the name of it. Then she told him a story of childhood sweethearts, a story of a newly married couple who lived in an apartment above a bookstore, a story of a young, ambitious wife who left to seek a career, who enjoyed great success, but could never relinquish the key her husband gave her when they parted. She told him the story she thought would bring him to herself. But his face showed no recognition. Gradually she realized that he had lost touch with his heart's desire, that he no longer knew the purpose of his waiting and his grieving and his reading. And now all he remembered was the waiting and the grieving. You remember it, she said. You must remember it. It's the story of Lila and Jacob. And a twinkle in his eye appears. And he says, yes, yes, something by Tolstoy, am I right? And she left and dropped the key behind, never to return again. And he went back 
to his books. We are all looking for love, but so often we can forget what we're looking for. Colossians 3 says, above all, above all, above all else, clothe yourselves with love. It's not clothe yourselves with holiness. It's not clothe yourselves with righteousness. It is clothe yourselves with love. For some of us, we've been raised or are familiar with a God who loves, yes, but his other qualities trump love. Love is nice, but God is holy. God is righteous. I've heard people say frequently that love is good. I agree. We should focus on love. We should totally love, but we got to be balanced. God is loving, but God is also a God of justice. He is a God of holiness. They got to be balanced. Everything's got to be balanced. But prodigal church, if love is above everything else, it is not to be balanced by anything. Unless your sense of justice is under God's love, then what you think is justice is not actually justice. If you take justice and you separate it from God's love, or you put it alongside of God's love, or you make it compete with God's love, then your justice will simply be self-righteous moralism. And if you take God's holiness, and if it is not governed by God's love, if it is not underneath the love of God, your holiness will be a pharisaical legalism. The truth is that there is no greater manifestation of God's justice than on Calvary's cross. And there is no greater manifestation of God's holiness than Jesus dying for us. God is love. Those three words are beautiful. Those three words are true. God is love. He loves you. He loves me. He loves them. We receive that love. And then agapamen alelas. Let us love one another. God, I pray in Jesus' name that this becomes reality in our homes, in our lives. That your call on our lives for love would quench the deep pursuit we long for, love. Fill our lives, fill our marriages, fill our relationships, fill our families, fill our city, fill our churches with love. May we love one another because you are love. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is the finale of our Summer of Love series, and we can't wait. Uh, we pray for God's peace, comfort, and love on you and yours right now and beyond. Grace and peace.